Now, if you were with me at my home and I uttered these five words, let's go for a walk, the two dog members of my family would lose their ever-loving doggy minds. And that is no exaggeration. They can be asleep in all, all over the house, and all I need to do is whisper, walk, and it's as if I said, you win the Publishers Clearinghouse event. And so they, it's their favorite thing in the world, I do believe, because they go crazy. They bark, they jump, they go get their leashes. It's as if, I don't think I could be more excited. If, if someone said, hey, I'm giving you $10 million, I don't think I would respond like that. They love walking. Now, for us, walking is mundane, and it's normal, it's average, it's typical. Walking is the most basic way we get from point A to point B. None of us, like my dogs, lose their minds with excitement when we hear the word walk, because it just seems so average, ordinary, but it's not. When we think about walking in Him, I don't want us to lose our minds, but I do want us to grow in excitement for what that means when Paul says, walk in Him. Walking in Him, as we, as, we, as we hear this, you might think it's a duty, you might think this is something that's more of a task, but it's more than that. Today we are going to understand why we walk in Him. The main idea is simple, but it's far from simplistic. And we can clearly state it right from verse 6 in Colossians chapter 2. Walk in Him. And if I were to put it in my own words, I'd say this. Stick close to Jesus. Stick close to Jesus. Now I'm going to read beginning in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to go from verse 1 all the way down to verse 7. We're going to focus mostly on verses 6 and 7. And in verses 1 through 5, Paul describes his heart, and his feelings toward the Colossians, toward that church, similar to last week. So I'm going to read beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. We go back again to this ancient letter with a very contemporary message. Colossians 2, verse 1. God's word begins, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may, be, may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now the verses we'll focus on this morning. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you we're taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. 
Lord, speak to us this morning, just like we sung. Lord, I pray that we would hear you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us by your word. We don't need opinions. We don't need statistics. We don't need information. We need you. And Lord, we know that you leverage your presence through the word of God and the word of God preached. And I pray that that would be our experience here this morning, despite the limitations of the preacher I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that your presence would be among us, Lord. I pray that you would awaken us, allow us to see the privilege it is to walk in you and to stick close to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible... Verses like 6 and 7 are verses that I kind of can be tempted to go over fast. Because they're common words in the scriptures. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And it just seems like this whole puzzle is put together and it just kind of runs together. But it's more than that. This call in verses 6 to 7 is for us to stick close to Jesus. The first thing we need to do is remember the Jesus we've received. And we can't afford to forget this. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. These simple words, you received, is not the same thing as us receiving a text message or an email or a letter in the mail. We received Jesus meaning he received us, meaning he is now dwelling within us. This is not a simple transaction. Anyone who received Jesus is never the same, forever. We can only receive Jesus because he made himself available to us. Who is this Jesus that we have received? We've received a Savior who loves us beyond all compare. Jesus did not just come to us because he was contractually obligated or because it was something he had to do. He was not compelled. He was not, he was not, it was not as if he just said, okay, well, I guess I got to do this, so there I go. No, Jesus, the Jesus we have received loves us. You see, when we think about following him, if we don't recognize how much Jesus loves us, we will not want to follow him. It is no task. It is no hardship to follow somebody who loves you. Jesus does. Christians, Jesus loves you. Who is the Jesus that you received as Lord? The one who loves you. Before you knew him, he loved you. Before you loved him, he loved you. Before you received him, he loved you. Before he changed your eternity, he loved you. And so instead of thinking that following him is now, we're going to go through a list of do's and don'ts, and we're going to now talk about the tasks and take take on raw obedience, what we need to recognize is that Jesus loves us. That is the nature of our Savior whom we've received. If we don't see or are taken by his love, staying close to him will be a chore. 
But it is no chore to trust and stay close to the one who loves you like Jesus. The Jesus we've received loves us. Do you love him? You see, part of the reason we're going through Colossians is so that we as believers might orient our loves appropriately. Because you will become what or who you love. Christian author James K. A. Smith says this, What constitutes our ultimate identities, what makes us who we are, the kind of people we are, is what we love. More specifically, our identity is shaped by what we ultimately love or who we love as ultimate. Now, the way to say this is this. Our lives will begin to resemble what we love. And since we've received Jesus, and this is no mere transaction, we receive Jesus because he loved us. We must now look to love him as ultimate. We don't just follow him in rote obedience. If we do, it it just won't work. Yes, we have to obey. Absolutely. But the Christian life is more about more than just doing the right things. The Christian life is about learning to love Jesus rightly. You see, if you hear, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, and you only think, okay, well, I guess I have to read my Bible because that's probably the right thing to do, or, you know, I should probably pray because the Bible talks about praying. I should probably evangelize because the news is good, so I should tell others. I should probably go to church because that's, you know, Hebrews talks about that. I should probably be careful what I say, what I see, what I hear. And if, it, and if following Jesus just becomes a list of things to do, then we forget. Then, then we're going to be tempted just to wander away. But if we recognize first the Jesus we received, we have something much more robust. If our idea of walking in him is mere, it's just checking boxes, our life, our spiritual life will be thin and dry and brittle. You'll be ready to topple over when the storms of affliction or the gusts of prosperity come your way. Walking in him is more than checking boxes. Our life in Him will be paltry if we are not taken with Him. This is the Jesus we have received as Lord. Jesus loves you. Not for what you can do for Him. Not for what you might do for Him. Not for who you are. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. This is the Jesus we've received. Why does he love you? Is there any cause in you or me that has made us lovable? No, he loves us because he loves us. This is the Jesus we've received. And Jesus doesn't just say, I love you. He acts it out. His love for us is not in just mere words, but his love is a love expressed in action. 
He is the creator. He was the creator of all things by the word of his power. He even created us. He knit us each together in our mother's womb. And yet mankind ran from him. Jesus, God, the one who loved mankind, he, mankind ran from him. And Jesus became one of his create, cre- creatures to come and rescue us. That's love. This is the Jesus we've received. He left his eternal home to come to our broken world. This is the Jesus we've received. This Jesus, he was born for us. He died for us. He lived for us. He took the wrath of God for us. This is the Jesus we received. He defeated cosmic powers for us. He made a mockery of Satan for us. He rose from the dead for us. He is praying for us right now. He is working us into his image. He is working all things for our good. He is walking with us in our trials. He is preparing a place for us. He will one day come back to get us. He will one day wipe every tear from our face. And we will be with him forever because he loves us. This is the Jesus we have received as Lord. And if we don't see him for who he is, how he loves, we're not going to follow. So when we hear, walk in him, don't think that this is some exercise in raw obedience and self-will. It is no chore to follow closely someone who loves you like this Jesus. It's easy to follow someone who loves you like Jesus. Stick close to Jesus. Stick close to Jesus. Paul is going to go on and use three different words to describe how we stick close to Jesus or what it looks like. He's going to say rooted, he's going to say built, and he's going to say established. He's going to say rooted, he's going to say built, and he's going to say established. And all of these things, rooted, built, established, are in him. So when we see the words in him in verses 6 and 7, we don't just go, okay, that's, that's just, just throwaway words. No. What we have to think about is the Jesus we've received is the Jesus who loves us more than we can imagine. And so we stay close to him because he loves us. The Jesus you stick to Verse 7 tells us, verse, let's read verse 6 and 7, tells us we are rooted in him. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Now that could be rendered having been rooted. The idea is not that we do ourselves, do, do our best to root ourselves in him. Rather, he has already rooted us into him. That's the idea. Jesus has already done this work. Jesus has already taken us, like Zach read during worship, taken us, we who were once dead and alienated, and rooted us into him. The first way, isn't this fascinating, the first way we are to stay close is to recognize something Jesus has already done for us. At the risk of being overly simplistic, we don't first root ourselves in him, he roots us in him. Christian, you already are rooted in him. 
Salvation is not just. Salvation is not just a matter of Jesus forgiving our many sins. That is true. That is worth celebrating. But it's also we believers being rooted in Him who loves us. If salvation, if the sum and substance of salvation was only forgiveness, that would be worth celebrating, but forgiveness merely wipes away what we did wrong. Jesus offers much more. He does not just cancel our debts, forgive our transgressions. He roots, him, he roots us in himself. He associates himself with us. Forgiveness takes our debt to zero, which is wonderful. But being rooted means that we have all the blessings and riches that are due Jesus because he, ha- he has rooted us into him. We are now inextricably connected to him. He has committed himself to you. And that connection is forever. There is no risk that Jesus will get embarrassed or fed up or exasperated or frustrated or aggravated or annoyed or bothered with you so that he says, I'm done. No. He has rooted you in him. Stay close to this Jesus. Stick to him. If you're a Christian, you're already rooted in him. Stick to him also by being built up in him. Verse 6 again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the one who loves us, the one who's given himself for us, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. We want to stay close to Jesus by continuing to be built up in him. There is no greater treasure than Jesus Christ. There is no greater mystery than Jesus Christ. There is no other truth that we need to move beyond besides what Christ has done for us. And all of us, as believers, are under construction. It's as if we have one of those orange road signs around our neck that says, God at work. We will be under construction till the day we die. We are called to be built up into Him. Now, He's the one who provides the power and the strength and the ability and the desire to be built up into Him, but there is a sense in which this is cooperative. We don't just sit back and take a passive attitude and kind of let go and let God. We work with Him. You see, sticking close to Jesus means building your life in Him, making your life about Him. And this is a danger. See, there are many people sitting in many churches this morning across the world who don't belong to Jesus, but they think they do. They think because they prayed a prayer one day, or raised their hand, or came up front, or got baptized, or because they believe the right things, they think they're fine. And their faith is in the fact that they prayed a prayer or were baptized. That is not the ground of our faith. The ground of our faith is in Him. And so how can you tell if your faith is genuine? How can you tell if you're a genuine follower of Jesus? You will continue to be built up in Him you will continue to look more and more like him as you grow older. You will not just...
believe the right things. You should believe the right things. But your life will consistently change. You will look different three months, six months, a year, two years, four years, ten years on. We must stick close to him and build our lives on him as he builds into us. We must, over time, look more and more like our Savior. If you've prayed a prayer, but you do not live, life, live a life that resembles Jesus or follows Jesus, you ought to have no confidence that you're really a Christian. If, however, you struggle against sin and have a desire inside yourself to please Jesus, that's a different matter entirely. May we be a people who allow him, who, as we are rooted in him, may we build ourselves up in him as well. How can we do this? A few ideas. We should foster good desires. Authentic believers are going to have a desire to please Jesus. We're going to have something inside that says, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And the battle for the actions of our lives start with our minds. We will love what we think about most. And so when we gather together, what we want us all to think about most is Jesus and who he is. So the songs that we sing are designed not for us to have them in our mouth only to sing them in here, but also so that we can take them away and remember them in those moments when we can't really memorize any scripture or we don't have it in our heads, but we can remember two stanzas that go, Come, you weary heart, now to Jesus. Come, you anxious soul, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest here in, your, in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus, satisfied, he is all that I need. May it be, come what may, that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. When our desires, when, when we think about the goodness of Jesus... It will reorient our desires. And we have words like that bouncing around in our heads. We're going to think different. We're going to want to have different desires. And we're going to want to obey him. And as Christians, we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do we resemble Jesus in how we speak? Is it obvious that we follow him or walk in him by what we see or where we go? Is it obvious by how we spend our money or who we sleep with or don't sleep with or how we forgive? Is it clear? Is it clear? We must stay close to this Jesus, the Jesus that we've received. We know we're already rooted in him and we're being built up in him. So that one day, verse 7 says, we will be established in the faith. Stick close to Jesus and be established in the faith. Verse 6 again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. See, the goal for all of our lives is to be established in the faith. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the idea here is for us to look inside and measure the amount of faith we have. No, 
what we see here is that we're to be established in the faith. Another way to say that is in Jesus and all he's done for us. One day the construction will be over and we will be all that the Lord has planned for us to be and we will be established. There will be no shaking. There will be no shuddering. We will be completely established. And this establishment happens as we stay close to Jesus. And it's not as if there's some kind of secret source. Do you see how you become established? Paul tells us in verse 7, established in the faith just as you were taught. What were they taught? They were taught the Bible. They were taught the Scriptures. You see, we keep returning to the Bible week after week to read it, to preach it, to sing it, to pray it, to study it, to meditate on it, to hear it preached, because in the Scriptures we have the Word of God. We have God speaking to us, and we have the means by which we become established. This is why Sunday is so important. We we remember that we are built by the Word of God. There is no other source in the world that can build the people of God than the Word of God. He is the one who works to establish us. We are the ones who need to be established in the faith. He establishes us. Nabil Qureshi wrote a compelling book entitled Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He was converted to following Jesus from a life and background of Islam. He described one day, weeks after he became a Christian, the day after he told his family, his loving family, he was going to follow Jesus. It was a gut-wrenching experience. He said this, I was crumpled. I was a crumpled heap on the ground, trembling before God. Two weeks after accepting my Lord, I tried to plead with him while wailing and stammering through quivered lips. The night before, I had looked into my Muslim father's eyes as they welled with tears. To be the cause of the only tears I ever seen those eyes shed, I could not bear it. Though my father did not say much, what he did say has haunted me ever since. The man who stood tallest in my life, my archetype of strength, my father, spoke these words through palpable pain. Nabil, this day I feel as if my backbone has been ripped out from inside me. The words tore through me. I had not given up just my life to follow Jesus. I was killing my father. My mother had even fewer words, but her eyes said more. You're my only son. Since you were born, you were a physical piece of my life and heart. Every day since you came into this world, I have loved you with, with all of me in a way I have loved no one else. Why have you betrayed me? Nabil goes on, decimated before God, eyes pouring, nose and mouth unable to withhold the grief. I was finally able to sputter my question through tears and mucus. Why, God, why did you not kill me the moment I believed? 
Why did you leave me to hurt my family more deeply than they ever been hurt? They never deserve this. Why, God? At that moment, the most agonizing moment of my life, something happened that was beyond my theology and imagination. As if God picked up a megaphone and spoke through my conscience. And I heard these words resonate through my very being. Because this is not about you. Because this is not about you. And you know what? That's true for all of us. Your life, my life, is not about me. Your life is not about you. We walk in Him. We are looking to be established in the faith. In Him. And that establishment says a whole lot more about Him than it does us. He has a purpose for us. He will establish us. And it's His good purpose that we live. It's for His name that we live. It's for Him that we live and move and have our being. He is the one who establishes us for His good purpose and not we establish ourselves and use God. We must stay close to Jesus. Remember the Jesus we've received, recognizing we're already rooted in Him. We're being built up in Him and established in the faith. What is that going to look like? How is that going to, to smell? You know how sometimes certain seasons have a smell? Christmas time has that pine tree smell. Even if there are no pine trees, you can make it. It's artificial now. You can spray it wherever you want to go. But here is how the Christian who follows Jesus is to smell. Verse 7, rooted and building up, built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And you might not think thanksgiving smells like anything. But it, those are easy words just to pass by, as if they're throwaway words and, and a mere suggestion. We must smell grateful. If I were to make a composite sketch of what love looks like in everyday life, it would be a grateful, thankful people. Those who understand how much Jesus loves them and how much Jesus has done and how much Jesus is doing will be the people who are thankful in every direction all the time. We are called to be abundantly abounding in thanksgiving. And I wonder if gratefulness and thanksgiving is one of the most overlooked of Christian virtues. Sometimes people can think the grateful ones who are expressing thankfulness are gullible or naive. That's not what the New Testament thinks. We're called to be abounding in thanksgiving. The New Testament pulsates to the rhythm of thankfulness. Sometimes people who foster suspicion and lob accusations 
accuse the grateful and the thankful as simpletons just because they don't freely share critiques to any open ear. That is not true. A grateful Christian, a thankful Christian, rings with the authentic tone of the gospel. Smells real. It it doesn't take less discernment to be grateful, but more. Why? Because it's so much more natural to complain. I don't have to work at things to complain about. They come naturally. My left knee, the broken, the, that, that, the broken um, fire alarms at my house, the, the, dirt, the dirty backyard. I don't have to work at that. I see those things and they rise up in my heart and it's easy to complain. What's hard is to discipline myself to be thankful. And Paul is calling us, more than that, God is calling us to open our eyes and look for opportunities to be thankful. Our Lord is working in you and in me. And whenever we see the shimmer of grace, we must celebrate this. We must tune our eyes to see the things that so many people do not see. We must see that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. We must be grateful for the people in our lives, even though none of them will be perfect. We must be grateful for the gifts that God has given us, no matter what they may be. And if we want to complain, we ought to complain to God and be grateful to other people. God can take our complaints in prayer. If you read the Psalms, if you don't believe me, read the Psalms. You'll see them all over the Psalms. We can be thankful. May we be a thankful people, people who are better at remembering blessings from God than the slights of others. May we be a thankful people who speak blessings to others more than spouting complaints at others. May we be a thankful people who live as if we we are not owed anything from others, but we owe love to others. May we be a thankful people who who pray that things would be different instead of complaining that things would be different. May we be a thankful people who look for God's work and are ready to celebrate it, however small. May we be a thankful people, not ashamed to express our gratefulness for others. May we walk closely to Jesus. May we stick close to Jesus. He is the one we've received that we did not deserve. He is the one who has rooted us in himself. Who is building us up. Who will one day establish us in the faith. We don't need to be dynamic. We don't need to be powerful. We don't need to be mighty. We don't need to be impressive or amazing. We need to walk in Him and stick close to Jesus. And as we do, we will be built, we will be established, and may we be a people that abounds in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the testimony of our our mouths would match our lives. Lord, we have much to be grateful for, and I pray that we would be people who are experts at seeing that. 
I pray that you would help us to be a people that follows you closely. It's easy to be distracted in this world, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on you. I pray that you would awaken an excitement in all of us when it comes to our walk in you. I pray that you would awaken those that are sleeping. Lord, I pray that you would convert those who are not spiritually alive. I pray that you would inspire all of us to put one foot in front of the other, sticking close to you. Jesus, we're grateful that you are easy to trust. Not only do you love us, you have shown your love in countless ways. You are easy to follow. You are not a harsh taskmaster. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. You will not always chide. You will one day establish us. So Lord, may we be those people who stay close to you. May we stay close to you in what we who we are, what we love, what we talk about, what we believe, how we orient our lives. We will not be able to do this without your help, and we pray for that help. Jesus, we're grateful that you love us, and we're grateful that we can follow you. Help us to do just that. And it's by the power of your name and the access that you have granted us to the Father that we pray. Amen.